Welcome to another podcast from Techniques in Chiropractology. Today we're going to be talking to Professor Steve Brown, who is Professor of Colorectal Surgery at the University of Sheffield, UK, and Chief Investigator and the brains behind the Hubble trial. We're going to be talking to Steve, obviously, about hemorrhoids and their treatment. This podcast ties into Steve's latest publication in Techniques in Chiropractology, which is called A Validated Severity Score for Hemorrhoids, as an essential prerequisite for future hemorrhoidal trials. And if you're thinking about designing a trial to look at the treatment of hemorrhoids, then this is essential reading and very important to consider when designing your protocol. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hi Steve, thanks very much for um, talking, to, talking to us today about, about hemorrhoids. Um, it's, it's a confusing thing and people mean different things when they say hemorrhoids or piles. Can you just define what we're going to be talking about today? So uh, I always consider hemorrhoids as sort of part of normal anatomy. They're the anal cushions that we all have that maintain continence. But for some reason, these uh, anal cushions have gone wrong. It's usually related, we think, to the uh, uh, fibromuscular elastic scaffold that's within them. So that becomes a bit ruptured and torn. And therefore, you get uh, elements of prolapse, engorgement of vessels and potential bleeding. Okay, so bleeding, uh, prolapse, and the other major symptom is... Yeah, mucus discharge, fecal seepage, skid marks. Yeah, itching as well is a, a big and thing. Of course, yeah. itch, thank you. Okay, so there we are. So we've got these, these vascular cushions that are enlarged, engorged, prolapsed with all those symptoms. So when someone comes to see you, what's the first thing that you would advise them? Well, the first thing you've, you've got to do, of course, is exclude anything more sinister going yeah. on because the symptoms could be something more sinister and more drastic. But once you've done that, uh, yeah, I would tend to advise them down the lines of conservative treatment. I think that we over-treat hemorrhoids uh, in this country and uh, indeed around the world. Uh, there are about 23,000 operations done for hemorrhoids in the UK, and that doesn't include rubber band ligation, so it's probably twice as many of them. We're talking about 75,000 operations done per year, 75,000 interventions done per year in the UK alone. That's about a million in the whole of, the, uh, whole of Europe. So we probably do over-treat, uh, and I think the government's become aware of this and uh, are trying to encourage us to do uh, less invasive procedures uh, on these patients. Um, clearly, the least invasive thing you can do is treat them conservatively. So you need to give them advice on diet and on toilet habits. Um, there's a chap called Garg who produced a lot of data from the US suggesting this tone therapy, which includes uh, sitting on the toilet for three minutes max once a day, no straining, uh, and plenty of fibre in your diet. I suspect the last two parts of that tone therapy are the best, so no straining and plenty of fibre. And I think most patients, certainly with low-grade hemorrhoids, will get better with this treatment. Mm, okay, and, and then, so how to avoid straining? What's, what do you tell people to do? Some simple things, aren't yeah, there? Simple things, sit on the toilet, uh, put your, your legs on uh, one of your textbooks, John, uh, and, uh, uh, and uh, just try and assume the appropriate position. It's a bit like we advise everybody with uh, uh, any form of pelvic floor disorder uh, to evacuate properly. Yeah, so the kind of ski shoes position. Ski shoes yeah. position, yeah. yeah. Knees up, and, uh, and it improves things dramatically, doesn't it? Especially for shorter people. Shorter ladies, I think, sometimes have a problem on, on higher loose seats, and uh, it really yeah, helps. Well, it works for me. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we try conservative treatment for how long would you advise someone to do this? Well, you could argue that uh, certainly with very low-grade hemorrhoids that conservative treatment is all you need. Patients reassure they haven't got anything sinister going yeah. on, uh, give them a bit of advice and send them away. 
Um, but I suppose that really depends upon the grade of hemorrhoids. And certainly if you think there's a, a significant element of prolapse or bleeding, the patient's still concerned. Uh, and you might want to consider some form of less invasive treatments or outpatient or office treatment uh, as a way of trying to resolve their symptoms. But I suppose this is key at the end of the day, John. It's, uh, it's all about what the patient wants uh, and what they report as their symptoms. Uh, and maybe we'll come on to this later, but this is the key to achieving uh, good outcomes uh, with hemorrhoidal uh, treatment. Okay, so, so some people are going to worry that it's cancer. Once you've excluded that, they're, they're okay with the bleeding now and again. I suspect that's a significant number of people. Yeah, and other people, slightly, perhaps slightly more fastidious, uh, bother about the tiniest amount of blood. Well, I wouldn't call them fastidious. Uh, so, so, yeah, sure, if they've got a bit of blood and they really want that resolved, yes. But we're talking about patients who have other symptoms, perhaps uh, significant skin marks or uh, significant prolapse. Yeah, okay. We talked a bit about grading there. Can you just take us through the grade so we're just to clear what we're talking about later on? Well, there are quite a few grading systems for hemorrhoids, but the commonest used is obviously the Golagus system, uh, which grades hemorrhoids according to the degree of prolapse. So grade one hemorrhoids would have no prolapse. They would tend to have bleeding as their main symptom. Grade two hemorrhoids would be those that prolapse would spontaneously reduce. Grade three, where you've got to push them back. And grade four, where you can't really push them back. It would be a simple way of defining yeah. the Golagus system. And, and that doesn't really include those external components, those skin tags? Uh, external, it? Well, it doesn't. Uh, and that's why there have been other grading systems developed. And it is, impo it is important to distinguish between external component uh, that's bothering the patient uh, and what we would call uh, hemorrhoids defined by the Golagus system because they might require different treatments. And again, it, it, it harks back to the fact that it's what's bothering the patient that will define how you treat them. Yeah, and some people are really driven mad by their what are skin tags and not hemorrhoids. Yeah, and sort of sloppy terminology merges, blurs the boundary between the two. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Great. So um, anyway, conservative treatment that hasn't worked. Um, somebody doesn't like the bleeding or the skid marks or the itching, and would like you to do something more than give them dietary and defecatory advice. So what's next? Again, it sort of depends upon grade. Uh, so grade one. Uh, grade 2 hemorrhoids, uh, I would tend to treat in the UK with rubber band ligation. I think this is a, a very effective treatment, although the recurrence rate is high. Uh, it's minimally invasive for the patient, so it meets a lot of the criteria for the perfect operation. It doesn't require an anaesthetic, etc. Now, if you were not in the UK, you might consider um, microionized flavonoids, because they have been proven certainly in grade 1 hemorrhoids, early grade hemorrhoids, uh, to be effective in reducing symptoms. For some strange reason, this is not available in the uh, UK and the NHS, or it's very difficult to get hold of. Um, but if you go to France, for instance, it is the most commonly prescribed medication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, for, for, for low-grade hemorrhoids, I would always start with rubber band ligation. But in a way, again, you need to take into account what the, what the patient wants. Uh, there is some evidence from the Hubble trial that uh, even with grade 2 hemorrhoids, you might want to consider straight in there with uh, uh, um, a halo procedure or something, uh, hemorrhoid artery ligation or some other intervention. Um, and the data from Hubble would suggest that uh, hemorrhoid artery ligation is about the equivalent in terms of recurrence to a course of rubber band ligation. So that's potentially one rubber band ligation followed by another one six weeks later. So it's what the patient wants. If they want a quick fix, maybe a little bit more pain, uh, then they might want to consider hemorrhoidal artery ligation. So in my book, I would try and use some sort of decision aid to help the patient decide what they want to do. But most of the time, people uh, elect to have rubber band ligation. Okay, thanks. So the, the Hubble trial, I mean, this is a, a really so evidence with hemorrhoids is pretty poor. 
Um, you're the you were the, the chief investigator of the Hubble trial published in the Lancet uh, two or three years ago, and just just give us a summary of of that trial because it, it's an important you know large piece of evidence in a not very well evidenced area. Well, our, our aim, and actually, I have to confess to really not. Uh, meaning for this to turn out to be such a big trial. But our aim was to investigate the use of hemorrhoidal artery ligation, which became, um, I mean, probably um, fired by uh, media hype in the sort of uh, early 2000s, uh, the treatment that patients were demanding. So we needed some form of evidence, some form of good evidence to suggest that this was some uh, a, a, an intervention that was worthwhile. So we, we decided to investigate hemorrhoidal artery ligation, and we thought that actually... The people that responded best to hemorrhoidal artery ligation were those with grade 2 hemorrhoids and the uh, biggest treatment for those sort of patients was rubber band ligation, so that seemed the obvious comparator. Uh, the results of the trial comparing rubber band ligation with HAL suggest that HAL is certainly better, more efficacious in terms of recurrence, but not when you compare uh, a course of rubber band ligation, so people that come back six weeks later and have rubber band ligation if they're continuing to have symptoms. Indeed, uh, a course of rubber band ligation is equivalent in terms of efficacy to HAL. Uh, the only differences are you get slightly more pain with HAL in the first week. And the other big difference is, of course, that HAL is so much more expensive than rubber band ligation and, in fact, is not cost effective. And the government has sort of jumped on this to a certain extent and are, are pushing for us to always do the cheaper treatment first. I don't really have any strong objection to this because at the end of the day, rubber band ligation is simple and easy to do and probably uh, is as efficacious, certainly after a year, and that's what Hubble showed. Yeah, okay, so rubber bands, because they're cheaper and as effective as... As effective, yeah. as long as the patient's prepared to come back after six weeks if they've still got symptoms. Okay, so um, it doesn't always... But what's a, what's a success rate at the end of you know a year of rubber band ligation? So, again, this is very difficult to get from the data if you look at it, but I think how gives a pretty robust idea of the recurrence rate uh, and it was 50% after a year. 50%? That's just one single rubber band ligation. Right. If there are two rubber band ligations, it drops to about, uh, sorry, increases to about 60, 70%. Yeah. That's two, two different episodes of rubber band ligation yeah. rather than two bands. Yeah. Okay. And what about what about grade three? We've, we've kind of left those out a little bit. So th this illustrates another issue because what you could call grade three, uh, if you look at the hemorrhoids, might be slightly different. So if you see a, a single column of, uh, of hemorrhoidal tissue that prolapses and you have to push back, that is grade three. But I would treat that completely differently to three columns, you know, almost circumferential, uh, um, uh, almost circumferential prolapse. Um, and in that sort of situation, sort of the extreme grade three, uh, then you have to consider something more uh, radical. And the two options I would offer this sort of patient would be either a hemorrhoidectomy, excisional hemorrhoidectomy, or alternatively, a stapled hemorrhoid apexy. Okay, so and so there have been two big trials lately, and the next one is the ethos trial, which, which yeah. covers precisely that. Well, actually, to be fair, there have been three big trials that are pretty okay. good quality, uh, two from the UK and one from France. Uh, so the other big trial from the UK is the ethos trial that compared stapled hemorrhoid apexy with conventional hemorrhoidectomy. And that showed that actually after two years, uh, a, a conventional hemorrhoidectomy resulted in a better quality of life overall. Uh, the caveat is that the uh, conventional hemorrhoidectomy was a lot more painful and therefore you suffered a, a big deep dip in uh, um, uh, quality of life within the first two or three weeks. So stapled hemorrhoid 
apoplexy is less painful than conventional hemorrhoidectomy for the first two or three weeks. Okay, and then, but after that? But after that, uh, the pain issue uh, is pretty similar, uh, but the quality of life overall uh, measured over two years, not just at two years, is better for conventional hemorrhoidectomy. Which is surprising, isn't it? You know, because staple hemorrhoidectomy was, was initially advertised as this really minimally sure. invasive. It doesn't hurt at all. It's absolutely fine. Yeah, well, it Treat. certainly hurts less. And I think most of the studies that are reasonable quality would suggest that's the case. The trouble is it's not necessarily as efficacious. Yeah, and is that because it hurts people don't come back because the hemorrhoidectomy, the former one, hurts so much the first time I absolutely don't want to go through it again? I don't think you can say that because the ethos trial had pretty good follow-up for these patients. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, so we, we talked, though, any special kind of scenario? So pregnant woman with, with uh, symptomatic piles. So pregnant women, people with inflammatory bowel disease, uh, these are people that I would try and, immunosuppressed patients, people that I would really try and treat as conservatively as possible. Mm. Um, with uh, pregnant women, there's no reason why you couldn't consider some form of intervention. Uh, I would try and avoid it at all costs, uh, and I would um, probably treat them as conservative as possible, even if they had uh, high-grade hemorrhoids. There is a bit of evidence, and it's not that strong for, for the use of uh, certain types of flavonoids in these patients, but I don't have much experience myself. Yeah, and it, so it's a worry that intervening may precipitate labour? It depends what stage they are, what trimester yeah. they are, but uh, intervening just... <clears throat> there's something else funny going on with these pregnant women, yeah. and uh, there is a good chance that symptoms will resolve after the pregnancy. Yeah, so Indeed, there's a possibility they get worse after a you know, prolonged labour, for instance. Yes, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, and then uh, patients on anticoagulants, something we see a lot. Yeah, so th these are a difficult group. Um, the, 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 a lot of my colleagues and the, uh, a lot of people would recommend that you stop the anticoagulation uh, and then uh, give the treatment and then restart the anticoagulation. Um, so the treatment being rubber band ligation, which is the most common intervention. This never really makes sense to me unless you're going to stop the, the time that people bleed after rubber band ligation is about 10 days mm. after you've done the procedure. So really you should actually stop the uh, anticoagulants for a period of 10 to 15 days or consider stopping them after you've done the intervention. Um, so in my experience, and I've got no evidence to back this up, but it sort of makes common sense to me. I, I use injection sclerotherapy. It's one of the few times I do. And the theory behind that is that with rubber band ligation, you're going to create a little ulcer as the band sloughs off. Whereas with injection sclerotherapy, there doesn't seem to be so much ulceration caused, and therefore they don't seem to have the potential to bleed. That's mm. my theory. And the only time the bleed is when you stick the needle in at the time, but if they're yeah. off the anticoagulation, then it doesn't bleed too much. Yeah, you don't, have, yeah. you don't hesitate about taking blood off patients with... Uh, yeah, you can, uh, it's easier to press on, isn't it? The arm. <laughs> You keep your finger there, John, for about ten minutes. <laughs> okay, so thanks, Steve. I think I think that sort of takes us from A to Z of, of, of treatment. What about what we do in the acute situation? Acute, uh, again, conservative management. Uh, so if somebody presents with thrombosed uh, pile, you have to differentiate it from a perianal hematoma. Mm -hmm. A perianal hematoma, uh, I would drain uh, if I saw them acutely because it brings about instant relief. Yeah, well, that's separate to the anus, yeah. and this is something that comes yeah. from within the anus. Huh? Okay, so somebody within the anus who's got a thrombosed uh, hemorrhoid, uh, I would treat conservatively. What works very well for me is to inject that thrombosed pile with a bit of uh, local anaesthetic, hyaluronidase. It takes down the swelling, mm. they get instant relief. You can get the patient home quite quickly. You give them some advice, of course, about managing things at home, regular baths, uh, sit spots and uh, most people seem to do quite well with that so that, so that when you see them back in a few weeks time 
things have resolved and you can treat them pretty conservatively. Topical local ice packs, DTN, uh, diltiazem? Can, can. The iced finger uh, is a classic treatment. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, again, I haven't really had much need to do that with the hyaluronidase and local acid. It seems to work really, really mm -hmm. well for me, so I'd really recommend it. You can get the hyaluronidase from the... I mean, the nurse will look at you blankly, but you can get it from the plastic surgeons if necessary. Right, okay. Thanks. So, um, we, we, we spoke earlier about you've been, you know, some, some islands in a in a desert of uh, some oases in the desert of evidence for, for hemorrhoids for such a common problem. Yeah. And part of the problems about classification of the hemorrhoids, isn't it? And yeah. being able to compare different studies uh, between. So tell us a bit about the work you've been doing lately on that. Well, there's several reasons why that, that I think the research in hemorrhoids is pretty poor. I mean, there's a lot of it. Uh, I think there's over 400 randomized controlled trials at my last count. There's about 50 meta-analyses. So if you've already analysed the data, it's a really big task. But most of the data I think you can throw out the window. Um, if you follow the sort of PICO-type uh, um, philosophy... What's PICO? Tell PICO, patients, patient participants in any study. Mm -hmm. So participants, we're talking about how you grade hemorrhoids. So I've already mentioned earlier on what you call grade 3 may be completely different in terms of the Golliger classification. In terms of the interventions, uh, there are variants within interventions. So people do um, stable hemorrhoidectomy difficult, differently. Uh, classic example, hemorrhoidal artery ligation. Do you really need a Doppler probe? Can you just do a, a mucopexy? Mm. Uh, the comparative, we don't really know what the gold standard is. There are so many different uh, interventions out there and so many different innovations. We don't know what to compare with what with what. But the biggest issue to me, is, by far and away, is the outcome measures. Um, we don't know what uh, outcome measures are important. We don't know how to measure them. Uh, there's a trial by Van Tol, um, which was published last year, that looked at this and suggested there were 59 different outcome measures, if you look at all the papers, and each of them are defined differently, particularly recurrence. Nobody has really defined recurrence. So in order to do future research and make it meaningful and uh, make any meta-analysis meaningful, we need to work out what core outcome set is for patients and we need to have some form of uh, system of grading hemorrhoids in terms of symptoms and patient reported symptoms uh, that is validated. Okay so people can read this in the, the paper in Techniques in Colour Protology but just, just give us a, a quick summary of, uh, of what you suggest. Well, there's something called the hemorrhoid severity score. It's been around for a long time, actually. It was uh, it was designed by a chap called Nystrom. Uh, Nystrom just put it together based on the, 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 the main symptoms that we've already mentioned uh, of hemorrhoidal disease and scoring them accordingly. But he never validated it. So the paper that we've uh, published in Techniques in Colour Portology really goes... Uh, uh, the, it takes everything so that we have uh, actually robustly validated the score and shown that it is very meaningful in terms of measuring patient-reported outcomes. Okay, so anyone thinking of doing a trial in, hemorrhoid, in hemorrhoids should have a look at that and, and use the and same. should use the hemorrhoid severity score. It's very simple and easy to use. And if you do, then we can compare your trial with other trials and get, get some meaningful data out of it. Great. Okay, Steve Brown, thank you very much indeed. Pleasure.